So all those songs were about the high sovereignty of God. Um, all my ways are known to Him, right? <laughs> In eternity past, they were known to Him. And He's ordered and decreed these ways for my good. Amen? Always for my good. Always for my good. So, it was Monday morning, September 18th, 2017. Um, and I had this habit. I'd always go running on Monday morning if weather permitted. And I would listen to the sermon I had preached the night before just to make sure there wasn't anything goofy in it before I posted it to the podcast site. So, it was one of those big God sermons, and there wasn't anything goofy in it, and I was really jacked up about it. And the sermon ends, and the song we just sang, Revelation song, cues up. Filled with wonder, you heard the line, right? Filled with wonder, and I hope you sang it. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. I have always loved this line. It is the first line in the first chapter of my first book about Hebrews 11. What's Hebrews 11? Living out the, the wonder. The awestruck wonder. It's all it is. It's just living it out, right? The awestruck wonder of Yahweh. So I'm running, and this happened a lot when you know, I, I ran in these rice in, in cornfields south of Milan. And, you know, this song comes up, comes up, comes up and my hands go out. And I have to be careful, you know. The Italians think I'm a little crazy. But this would happen a lot. My hands would go out, and I would have to stop running, and I would just stop and worship the Lord. It's that stunningly real and profoundly deep moment of heartfelt worship. And I know if you're born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything else in the whole world just utterly fades away. It melts away. And it's you and Christ, right? It's you and God. It's you and Yahweh. The triune God. And you, you are, your, your soul and your heart and your mind is filled with the glory of God. And you worship. You worship. Awestruck wonder happens. It's the best high on the planet. And I'm, a, I'm an old man. I'm 68. So I can attest to that. It is the best high on the planet. The true believer knows that entering into genuine worship with Jesus Christ is the best encounter, the best feeling, the best sensation, the best experience, and the highest intellectual pleasure a human being can have while we're still walking around in the flesh. We understand that. We've tasted that. We have felt that. John Piper defines worship like this. The inner treasuring of God as the highest value in the universe from which proceed acts of obedience, faith, devotion, and love. So I hope you notice that, that worship feeds and triggers everything else. Right? Obedience, faith, uh, devotion, and love. It triggers and it feeds it. If you're not worshiping, you know you're running on empty, right? You can't actually do the Word of God. We've been called to do the Word of God, but you can't do it if you're not genuinely worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with all due respect to Piper, I'm going to have to change his definition just a little bit. And I know he wouldn't mind because I've read almost all of his books. He would, uh, he would not have a problem with this. This is what I would say. 
Worship is the inner treasuring of God as the highest, and here's my difference, pleasure, the highest pleasure in the universe from which proceed acts of obedience, faith, devotion, and love. So this is the sermon. Pleasure in God is God-pleasing worship. And there is no God-pleasing worship if there's no pleasure in your worship. You can't come in here brain-dead and heart-dead. You can't come in here critiquing everybody, critiquing the pastor, critiquing the music, critiquing the church. You might as well stay home. Now, I hate to say that, but you might as well stay home. If you don't come in here expecting the pleasure of worshiping God, the pleasure of worshiping your Creator. Oh, and He's your Redeemer too. Amen. Just the sheer pleasure of it. Just the sheer pleasure of it. And I know, because hey, I, I've been a churchgoer all my life. I know sometimes you don't come in here thinking like that. You come here thinking, well, I ought to be here. Well, of course you ought to be here. He's your creator. He's your redeemer. Of course you ought to be here. But it can't be about that. It has to be, I get to worship, right? That's the title of the sermon. I get to. I get to come and be with God's people. I get to hear his word preached. I, I get to sing, you know, we've got... Sorry for some of the songs. <laughs> I didn't do so well today. But you know, we do the best we can. It's, it's, listen, if it's not pleasure, it's not God-pleasing. If it's anything less than your pleasure to be here and to worship Yahweh, it is not God-pleasing. It is not God-pleasing. Real worship is soul-to-soul, mind-to-mind, and heart-to-heart -heart intimacy with the Lord Jesus. Deep, true, life-altering love for Jesus evokes the highest pleasure a human being can experience. God wired us like this. So as I'm walking back to the apartment that Monday six years ago, I'm all caught up in... You know, wonder, awestruck wonder. And then it hit me, what I just said. I get to worship. I get to worship Yahweh. I get to do it. Not everybody's getting to do it. I get to do it. I get to feel this pleasure of, of, of intimacy with my Lord and Savior. I get to feel it in my heart and I get to taste it intellectually, right? I get to worship. I get to be filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. I get to do that. I get to do that. Some of you are taking your Christianity way too lightly, okay? <laughs> it's just boiled down to church attendance and a few ministry things on the side. If there's no pleasure in it, it is not God-pleasing. And we're going to look at some psalms here in just... A moment. We get to worship. We get to know what we were made for, right? It's the it's the why anything, why everything, why, why everything deal. I was walking back to the apartment and I thought, <laughs> I get to worship. And then uh, I had another epiphany. You know, it was another lightning bolt kind of gobsmack kind of thing, you know. And I realized I've never once thanked God for this pleasure. I have never once 
thanked God for this pleasure. The pleasure of worship. I've worshipped God and I've loved it and I'm filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. I worship the living God, but I've never thanked Him for this highest human pleasure to worship God. And I'm just going to challenge you. Have you ever thanked Him that you get to worship? Not just thanked Him for who He is and what He's done, but you get to. You get to. You get to. Beloved, this is a big deal. It was to me anyway. I had never thanked Him. And we all know, don't we? All of, the, all of us who are born again, we know there is no pleasure on this planet or any combination of pleasures on this planet that compare to Him. So without question, Piper's right. Jesus Christ is the highest value in the cosmos. But without question, I'm right too. Jesus is also the highest pleasure in the cosmos. That Monday morning back in 2017, I recognized that I had been remiss and not thanking God for one of the biggest blessings He put into my life. The pleasure to worship the living God. To know Him, to be intimate with Him, to walk with Him, to sit with Him, to commune with Him. It's all pleasure, beloved. And if there's no pleasure in it, I, I, I'm going to ask you to take inventory, right? If there's no pleasure in it for you, you're, you're in a ditch. Somewhere you fell in a ditch. you got to get out of the ditch. Because you are not pleasing God by sitting in church and not being filled with pleasure at who He is. I know I don't sing so good sometimes. Do you know what? <laughs> Man, I, that last song, mm, bam, you know? It was like, it was right in my key, you know? It's like, I get to, man, I get to sing this to Him. I get to sing this to Him. What a beautiful gift. I had praised and thanked God for a gazillion things, a multitude of things, but I had never specifically thanked Him for the exuberance in my soul that only He could provide. I realized just how impoverished and destitute I would be without worship. You know, you drive to church sometimes, you see these people walk running or walking their dogs or whatever, and you think, oh my gosh, how do they live? What is, how do they live without God? How do they live without worship and intimacy? How can they, how can they just get up and go through the same boring thing day after day after day without having that beautiful, you know, that beautiful respite with Christ every day? I don't know how they do it. I guess it's why they're in pornography and they're doing drugs and they're drinking and they're, they're, they're sleeping around. I guess that's why they do that. They're trying to find some substitute for what they were truly wired for. You know, it can't be ought. Of course you ought to worship your Creator. Of course you should, but it can't be ought for the born-again Christian. It's always driven by what? You know what the psalmists say, it's always driven by desire. It's always desire. 
You know how the psalmist put it? It's astonishingly beautiful language. They, you know, they get to worship God. We get to worship God. It wells up in our hearts. It's irrepressible, this impulse to worship God. You know how the psalmist talk about it? Psalm 42, 1, as the deer what? As the deer what? Pants. Are you panting for God? Is there any panting going on? Soul, my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63:1. O oh God, you are my God. I shall earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Psalm 73, 25. And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Have you ever said that to him? Psalm 143, 6. My soul longs for you as a parched land. Piper is right. Jesus is the highest value in the cosmos, but I certainly want to add to it. He is the highest pleasure in the cosmos. And you can hear it in the psalmist. You know, they're just lusting after God. And I know some of you are offended that I would use that word in relation to God. But listen, that just means I'm keenly, you know, I keenly desire the thing. And they, they keenly desired God. You know, you just can't get in the way of a true worshiper, right? You just better get out of the way because he is, he or she is going to worship the Lord. No matter what impediments you may put in front of him or her. The psalmist have been filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. You know, and you find out exactly who you were made for. You enter into true worship and you realize who you were made for. And who you're supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a God pursuer. A God yearner. A God desirer. A God longer. Is that what it's like for you when you come to Grace Baptist Church on Sunday morning? Is that, what, is that what's going on in your heart and your mind? Is that going on? Or is it just ho-hum? Business as usual. Okay, there'll be a sermon. We'll sing some songs. We'll pray a few times. And I'm going back home and watch some television. That's all you got on your mind? Not, no, not really. Can't be. Can't be. I mean, that's blasphemous. That's blasphemous. The worship of the Lord, it's pure, it's perfect, and it's perpetual pleasure. It's perpetual pleasure. We know that as Christians, none of us are immune to the trials of life. Sometimes our dreams don't come true. Sometimes we suffer excruciating heartache. Sometimes we lose everything. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes our friends forsake us. Sometimes our loved ones abandon us. Sometimes they die. But we still get to worship the God who's working all things for your good. Amen? It doesn't matter, you know, when you can't cry anymore. I've been there. I've been there where you can't cry anymore. And God met me there. And He made all my dreams come true. Sometimes our dreams don't come true. I, I don't know why He did, but He made my dreams come true. From my lowest point. He does it because He can, <laughs> right? He does it because he can. 
we always get to worship the Lord no matter how difficult the situation we always get to taste the wonder and savor the awe that Monday morning six years ago as I was walking back to the apartment I thought to myself what would I do without this gift of God not just God but the gift of intimacy with God which is worship right exalting in his glory Exalting in His person, exalting in His being, exalting in all of His works. You know, you, can't, you just can't walk around out there very long and not see something and go, I can't believe He did it like that. He's just filled, or His, his ways and His works are filled with wonder. You know, if I didn't have Him, I'd be like... I'd be like the rest of the world trying to fill the abyss in my soul with ego, people, accomplishments, pleasure, wealth, experience, fame, control, and stuff, etc., etc., etc. Now, here's the C.S. Lewis quote that I give you about four times a year, maybe five. But I want you to hear it. If we consider the unblushing promises and staggering nature of the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Some of you have come in here... And your desire for God is too weak. I've been guilty of it myself. But we, you know, I like what Piper says about it. You got to repent. You got to repent. Right? We need to learn to talk like the psalmists. He says, we're like half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has been offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. This place should be overflowing. We should have to have crowd control out there. I'm serious. We should have to have crowd control out there because people want to hear about Christ. They want to hear about the, the joy that He affords and no one or nothing else can afford. The pleasure of worshiping the living God, the incarnate God, the resurrected God, the returning God. Amen? That's who we worship. Why is the world so messed up? Because men are like children playing in the mud. When God has offered a holiday at sea, God invites mankind to enter into genuine worship and He says, nah, the game's on. There's a big sale down at Target, whatever. You know, it's just sometimes it's just embarrassing. <laughs> it's just embarrassing. So many excuses not to find our deepest pleasure in God. I love how Tozer talks about it. A.W. Tozer, famous 20th century preacher. He says, this is perfect insanity that we're not seeking our our principal pleasure in God. This is insanity. The Creator offers Himself and we say, no, vanity and ego are better. Temporal success is better. Family and friends are better. A pile of money is better. Popularity is better. Comfort and ease are better. Fame and acclaim are better. Unbridled sexual lust and experience are better than you. 
It's better than you, God. You know, whatever you're giving yourself to more than you're giving to God, you're not saying these words, but this is what you're communicating. This is more important to me. If you're finding a greater pleasure in something else in your life, over and above the pleasure you have in God, this is an idol. And it's an infinite insult to your Creator. We were dead. How does Ephesians 2 say it? We were what? Dead in sin. So how did we ever get to the place where we could delight in God? There was a time when each of us thought sin was better. We loved the mud. We were far too easily pleased. We were on our way to hell. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'll just give you a couple of excerpts from that. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, made us alive. This is what alive people do. Alive people take pleasure in God. Alive people do that. And if you don't have pleasure in God, what I want to say to you is you're still dead. You're still dead if you don't take pleasure in God. If He's not your highest pleasure, you've not yet understood what you were created and redeemed to be. He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. He has made us alive. It is His gift for a host of God-exalting reasons, but one is that we would taste wonder, awestruck wonder. And if this is not in your life, I'm going back to Piper, you've got to repent. If you don't have the pleasure of God in your life, you have got to go home and get in your closet and repent before God and cry out to God, Oh Lord, I need to, I need to rediscover the pleasure of just simply knowing you, whatever you bring providentially. It doesn't really matter. I know you and I get to worship you. And I get to do it forever. And ever and ever and ever. It's that intra-Trinitarian glory, joy, wonder, and infinite exuberance that Jesus prays for in John 17. You guys know John 17, that somehow and in some way we might have His joy made full in us, verse 13. And that somehow and some way we might taste some aspect of His glory, verse 22. This is our inheritance, God. What did, what did He tell Abraham? What did, what did Yahweh tell Abraham? I'm your reward. That's the King James, I think it's the King James translation. I am your reward. Are you treasuring that? Are you loving that? Are you looking forward to that? You know, that actually being with Him. You know, the death is our best day. It's our best day so far. <laughs> the day we die. I think it may have been in one of the songs. I think it may have been. No one else can worship like a Christian, a born-again Christian. Muslims can't, Hindus can't, Buddhists can't, Judaism can't, the, the, the pseudo-Christian can't. These are all full of dead men walking. But we can. We get to worship the Lord because God has made us alive. God has made us alive. Parenthetically, 
God has commanded us to delight and be glad in Him. It's what worship is. Parenthetically, this is why it is obligatory, duty-driven, lukewarm kind of worship is an abomination to Yahweh. This is why he, he, I've told you this before, he doesn't do lukewarm and he will spit you or vomit you out of his mouth. Don't come before him lukewarm. It's better not to come before him at all. And I know I'm jacked up, but that's not my fault. I know I'm screaming a lot. It's not my fault. Psalm 100, you heard Joe read the text. Verses 1 and 2. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Did you do that today? I'm just asking you, did you do that today? Was that your, was that your purpose when you rolled out of bed? I'm going, to do, I'm going to do Psalm 100, 1 and 2 today. Beloved, this is not an obligatory shout. This is an irrepressible one. This is a visceral thing. This shout of praise and happiness and love and fullness and satisfaction and victory and contentment and excitement and astonishment and amazement and my favorite anticipation. What will God do? What will God do in my circumstance? What will He do in my life? And if I'm in a hard spot, what will He do with that? He's always at work, beloved. And I couldn't help but think of my favorite memory verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And I, it's not my favorite simply because it's got two words in it, but it helps when you're my age. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. What does Paul say? He boils it all down. He boils all, this, all the beautiful theology. He boils it down to what? Rejoice. What? Always. When was the last time? When was the last time you rejoiced? I'm talking about genuinely rejoiced in God. Beloved, if you're tardy in this, if you're remiss in this, you need to go to work. Need to go to work. How can God command us to rejoice always because He's made us alive? It's what alive people do. Alive people do this. They do this. This, this verse, rejoice always, is just, just filled with biblically sound theology. It's who God is, an eternally and infinitely joyful God. It's what God has done. He has redeemed me for everlasting joy. It's what God is doing. He's sanctifying me for godly joy. It's what God will do, sharing His joy with me forever. Yahweh is, as Paul tells Timothy, the blessed God, 1 Timothy 1.11, a synonym for blessed is happy. You know, a lot of, of so-called Christians don't see God as happy. He's infinitely happy. I love how Piper talks about Psalm 100. You're going to like this. <laughs> I think I read his commentary on Psalm 100 a long time ago, and I never forgot this. He said, listen, the infinitely happy God is calling his happy people to happy worship. Amen? <laughs> That's the only kind of God-pleasing worship there is. Happy. Happy worship. You say, well, Jim, sometimes I'm broken. Okay, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to work through it. But there's still this, this, this happiness down deep in your soul that, that the trial can't touch, right? It can't touch it. 
you know that your God is at work in the trial. And just as a sidebar here, the psalm says, uh, God calls all the earth to worship Him. And you guys, these psalms, Psalm 19, 93, 96, 98, the psalms talk like this. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. The, the flood lifts up their voice. The, hearts are, the, the heavens are glad. The earth rejoices. The sea and all it contains roar. The field and all that is in it exalts. The tree sings for joy. The, the world roars. The rivers clap. The mountains sing for joy before God. So the created order is in a continuous and irrepressible state of worship and this is what our life is supposed to be. It's this, to me this conceptually reveals that this is the natural order of things. That we are worshiping people. We worship while we work. We worship while we do everything, right? It's just all worship. We offer it up to God. We are God delighters. Non-worship is an aberration. It's an anomaly. It's deformity. It's death. Beloved, if you don't have pleasure in God, you've got... I, I, if you don't have pleasure in God, you're not alive. You're not alive. You may be a church member. You may be a churchgoer. But you are not alive. Psalm 37, 4, David says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. You know, you get a lot of name it and claim it guys on that one. Uh, what's he talking about? He's going to give you the desires of the human heart, which is what? Himself. Himself. That's what He does. But what's, what's the precondition? Delight. Do you have delight? Is there real delight in God, Psalm 32, 11, David says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Psalm 149, 5, the psalmist sings, Let the godly ones exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy. Philippians 4, 4, Paul commands the believer to rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. I could multiply scripture here, but for the sake of time, I won't. God means for us to enjoy Him. It is the heart and soul of creation, providence, redemption, sanctification, and ultimate glorification. This, this thing of enjoying God in worship, it's just who we're going to be forever. It's just who we're going to be forever. Yeah, we're back to the why anything, why everything deal. So that the infinitely happy God may be praised for the progressively for progressively communicating his infinitely his infinite happiness to the ever increasing happiness of his happy people. I know I butchered it, but you get the point. And as Jonathan Edwards says, there'll never be a time when there'll be no more glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. Casting Crowns has a song, it's pretty old now. It was called To Know You. They got a couple of lines in that song. It says, To know you is to ache for more than the ordinary. Amen? To know you is to look beyond the temporary. <laughs> is that how it is with you? On a daily basis, you're looking, you're looking, you're really looking through the temporary into the new heaven and new earth, right? We're looking through it. I know we have to live it, we have to deal with it. 
We ache. We ache. I think it's I, I think that's part of worship. This is ache. I can't I can't get enough of him yet, you know? I know, I know it's all out in front of me, but it's like I can't I can't get there. I can't get to where I want to be with him. I know you thanked God countless times for your salvation and every other blessing in your life, but have you ever thanked him for the pleasure of worshiping him? Have you ever thanked him for it? Have you ever praised him that he has enabled you to praise him? Because it's a it's a miracle, beloved. If you genuinely praise God, it's a miracle. You were dead. You were a God hater. That's what we know what the Bible says. <laughs> I was thinking yesterday. What if he were a crummy God? What if he were a crummy God? What if he was God? There was a God there, and oh well, you know, he created us, but he's, a, he's crummy. Right? What if he weren't awesome and beautiful and desirable and compelling and magnificent and worship-provoking? What if he wasn't any of those things? But I still have to worship him because he made me. What if he was a crummy God? But beloved, we don't have a crummy God. <laughs> right? <laughs> we have an awesome God. And I, we have... An awesome God. We do not have a mediocre one. We do not have some second-rate deity, and He's not a bore. And people who get bored in church, I have a real problem with. You're just not trying hard enough. That's on you. You come in here and you're bored, that's on you. It's not on God. It's not on me. It's not on the Spirit. It's not on the Word. It's on you. It is on you. You've all heard me use the term Christian hedonist. This phrase coined by Piper. A hedonist is simply someone who believes that pleasure is the most important thing in life. And of course, we are hedonists because we, we, we pursue the ultimate pleasure, which is Christ. I love that whole term. I love that whole concept. Christian hedonism. I love it. We are the consummate hedonists. One of my first sermons here at Grace when we repatriated was Psalm 117. It's the middle chapter in the Bible. It links everything that has gone before with everything that follows. And I read it to open the service. I'm going to read it again, Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, which means praise Him. All peoples, for His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. The theological realities of Psalm 117 undergird all that I've been saying to you today. What it, no, I'm sure you can't remember. But this is worth remembering. Try to remember this. What is God saying to His people when He commands us to praise Him? What is He saying to us? There's an implicit invitation. I want you to remember this. I don't want you to ever forget this. When I come up to you next week and I ask you, I expect you to tell me what the implicit invitation is. What is it? 
What is the implicit invitation? When God says, praise me, it's come and enjoy me. That's what it is. Come and enjoy me. Come and enjoy me. Come and enjoy me, Psalm 117. It connects everything that's gone before with everything that follows. Come and enjoy me. Why anything, why everything? Come and enjoy me. The elect will come and enjoy Yahweh. I was listening to Piper preach this week, and uh, I know I've used his name a lot. I don't apologize for it. Sometimes I do, but I'm not going to today. I was listening to him preach, and he said something hugely important about this whole delighting in God thing. He said, you know, because he's, he's critiqued about pushing Christian hedonism, and people critique him for saying, well, you're just always pushing, you know, the pleasure of the Christian and not the duty of the Christian. There's a way in which duty is, in fact, backhanded blasphemy. But anyway, he's responding to this. He says, the problem in the church today is not that people are seeking their own pleasure in worship. It's that they don't. They don't seek their own pleasure in worship. They're just tolerating the preacher till he's done. So I can get back online. Many, if not most, professed Christians are proactively disobeying Psalm 117. We are refusing to enjoy God. If worship is not your highest pleasure, you've not understood the word worship or pleasure. The worship of Jesus Christ is pleasure, and pleasure is the worship of Jesus Christ. Again, this is for the born again believer. If you're not delighting in God, Psalm 37, 4, and if you're not rejoicing always, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. So maybe some of us just need to, you know, reboot. And this takes me to the healthy church. This is at the core of a healthy church. We understand Psalm 37, 4. We are here to delight in God. And all that we do is the overflow of our delight in God. If a church gets that right, <clears throat> we don't have to worry about anything else. Right? We don't have to worry about anything else. So I'm going to close with a commercial for our upcoming Sunday night study. We are studying a book entitled Awe, A-W-E, Awe. <coughs> for some, I have no doubt that God will use this study to greatly enhance your enjoyment of Him. Don't have any doubt about it? You know, we have this beautiful group on Sunday nights, and it's a, it's a really, really sweet time. And I have no doubt that for others, God will radically, or will use this study to radically change your life. Because you've never learned that you're supposed to bring the awe down into the minutiae. You're supposed to take the awe and bring it down into the minutiae of your life. It's what this book helps us to do. It's a lot like the pink study, except pink, you know, left us up there in the heavenlies. You know, uh, Paul David Tripp's going to bring us down into the minutiae. Bring the awe down. Bring it down. 
down into the, the mean things of life, the average things of life, the, 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 the mundane things of life. Bring it down into that. This is what he's going to challenge us to do. I'll give you uh, one teaser quote. <clears throat> Tripp writes, Whether you know it or not, you're in a lifelong pursuit of awe. <laughs> Nothing was ever more true than that statement. There is an awe longing in your heart and misplaced awe will keep you always dissatisfied. It's true, beloved. I'm 68. I can give testimony. He goes on. If the awe of God is not the center of your worldview, you will look at nothing properly. Everything will be skewed. If it's not coming through the awe prism, right? If it's not coming through this wonder, awestruck wonder. God is saying to, to uh, every Ephesians 2, made alive man and woman, don't settle anymore. Come and enjoy me. Come and enjoy me. Come and enjoy me. I, I ended this way last week, so I'll, I, I, it just came to my mind. You know, the, the chief end of man, that old catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And Piper changes that a little bit. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Right? <laughs> and we're just, we're, we're just starting here. We're starting here. We're learning here. This is our primer. It's what worship looks like in a healthy church. Beloved, we get to worship. We get to worship. I want to encourage you to think deeply about that. I want to encourage you to think deeply. And if you've never thanked Him for this, 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 this inexpressible pleasure of worship, you might consider thanking Him, for it is a most treasured and pleasurable gift, the worship of God. Let's pray together.